This podcast is dedicated to the memory of David Faraday, Betty Lou Jensen, Darlene Farron, Cecilia Shepard, and Paul Stein, and to Michael Mejot and Brian Hartnell. This is Zodiac Speaking, a classic gunpoint dancing podcast. I'm your host, Chris Garcia. Sherry Jo Bates was born in February 1948 in Omaha, Nebraska. She was often called Sherry Baby by her parents, Joe and Irene Bates, and the family relocated so that Joe could get a job as a machinist at the Corona Naval Ordnance Laboratory. It was 1957. Sherry Joe ended up attending Ramona High School in Riverside, and there she thrived. She was a member of student government. She was an honor student. She was a cheerleader. She was a junior princess, but she was more than that. She had a part-time job that helped her buy her green VW bug. She babysat including Jeannie Castle Miller, who said about Bates, She was such a sweet gal. She never talked to me like a kid. Everybody liked her. It's not hard to see why. Apparently when a friend, Sherry Corzin, had all of her partners drop out of her act in the talent show, Sherry Jo stepped up and sang, I'm going to wash that man right out of her hair, from South Pacific. Curzon said, I will never forget her kindness. We had so much fun rehearsing and then performing. I loved her generosity and kindness towards me. That seems to be universal. Castle Miller noted, she always had a smile for everybody. She needs to be remembered. If you were drawing up the quote-unquote perfect victim, you're talking about Sherry Jo Baines. When people talk about her more than 50 years past, they talk about how wonderful she was. And you know what? She probably was. Castle Miller also noted, nobody from my generation is going to forget this. It rocked the town. And how another professor said, I remember students and faculty were on high alert for a long time after it happened. This isn't necessarily what happened with Zodiac in the Bay Area. Yeah, there was a reaction to it, but not as extreme. In a way, this is the murder of Laura Palmer in Twin Peaks. Mm, Probably without all the drugs and weird magic stuff. But still, she was everybody's favorite, and she was murdered. Found by a groundskeeper the next morning, October 31st, 1966. When the Zodiac crimes were making waves around the country, pretty much the entire detective force of every major and semi-major city were searching for any possible connections. And Riverside found it pretty quickly. I want to say by October, they had a bead that they thought they might be connected. But why? There are two things that often get noted here. One, there were letters found. A confession letter, most notably. And second, a poem. But two is just the sheer violence of it. Now, here's where questions start to happen. Does this fit The Zodiac's M.O. What M.O.? That's the ultimate question. Was Zodiac about the process? It doesn't seem like it. Because he kept changing how he did things. Was he an opportunistic killer? Certainly seems like it, doesn't it? Because unless you buy into the Darlene Farron was the target, and then once he had achieved that, he kept going. Really, there's not much to this idea that he was a targeted killer. There's a wonderful timeline of the last moments of Sherry Jo Bates' on ZodiacCiphers.com. And a couple of notes here that are very interesting. A student at Riverside City College said he knew Sherry Jo Bates and had noticed her in the library on the night in question. He said he saw the girl writing something with a ballpoint pen in her blue spiral school notebook. He told us he was outside about 5.30, waiting for the library to open at 6. And that's when he saw her. Also, what type of library opens at 6 p.m.? True, it was a Sunday, but still. There's another report that a friend of hers saw... Her lime green VW bug 
at about 6.10, headed towards Riverside City College. Okay. The time's fuzzy enough in people's memory that it could, could easily have been indicated both being right. A lot of people saw her with her car, and her car was very recognizable. Lime green, while more prevalent in the mid-60s, not exactly the most popular of color. There was a note in the famous confession letter, which I'm going to delve into more next time. I'm going to read the letter and I'm going to sort of go through where it definitely heads towards the Zodiac methodologies and theories in his letters and veers away from. But the interesting note is this. It says in the letter, I cut, I first cut the middle wire from the distributor. Then I waited for her in the library and followed her out after about two minutes. The battery must have been dead about then. Then I offered to help. Okay, how Zodiac is that? Except it might be Zodiac in a different way than you might think. Because most people tend to believe that Zodiac claimed responsibility for crimes he didn't necessarily do. Now, if this hadn't been leaked to the public at all, which is possible, easily could have found it. But if he was, as many think, someone who listened to the police scanner, that's the sort of detail you could pick up. Now, students saw her between 6.30 and 6.45. About 9, the library closed down. And Graysmith notes, actually, Sherry Joe Bates, Sherry Joe checked out three books from the local college library. Though her friends were at the small cramped library between 7.15 and 8.57, none recalled seeing her there. At 9 p.m. when the archives closed, she returned to her car to discover the engine would not catch. And here she had been working part-time at the Riverside National Bank. Parked, her car behind, by, parked behind her car was a Tucker torpedo that was not there before. Booyakacha! A Tucker torpedo? There were a total of 51 Tucker torpedoes ever made. Now, this of course could just be someone misidentifying another car for a Tucker. Tuckers were kind of in the news at this point, And they were kind of similar to late 40s, early 50s Studebakers. But there are some very, very distinctive elements of a torpedo. Particularly the front bumper. It's insane. It's a gorgeous car. I guess at a distance you could confuse the two, but... Hard to say. 9.30, a female student noticed a man standing in the fateful alleyway smoking a cigarette. She exchanged brief greetings. Probably just a hello. About 10.15, someone heard screams coming from the alleyway where a student had seen the man smoking. Again, from Graysmith. A neighbor heard an awful scream between 10.15 and 10.45. And then about two minutes of silence and finally the sound of an old car starting up. A man returning to the area at 10.30 told us he heard two screams then. So let's say 10.30 as the time of death. He came, he murdered her, he left. And obviously he waited for her, apparently, smoking a cigarette. When she arrived, she might have known him. And in most theories, she did. Now here's, again, another interesting note. Both the Tucker and the Studebaker would have made a significant amount of noise starting up. The Studebaker far more than the Tucker, honestly. I've heard them both running, and neither of them are quiet, but the Studebaker is a loud freaking car. Now, found at the scene was a broken Timex watch. And if you look at the crime scene photos, they're strange. They give this sort of impression that it's in a much less, I guess, a much less organized, urban location than actually that part of Riverside would have been at that point. Riverside was still kind of a backwater in a way. But if you look at it, it just looks like a murder next to a house. And that alley is probably the wrong word to use. More like passageway or... Almost trail. So two minutes pass between the scream and the car starting up. And that there's blood 
leading towards where the car would have been. Dried drops of blood. There's a couple of interesting notes here. The watch. So perhaps the watch had broken earlier. Perhaps the watch is completely unrelated. Possible. So here's my question on this one. There was a struggle between Bates and her killer. This means a couple of different things. One, we know that Zodiac didn't like to physically engage with his killing. The first two, just shooting. The least physical engagement you can give with a victim. The stabbing may have been more out of necessity than anything else at Lake Berryessa. And Stein may have seen a slight struggle. But I really believe it was more likely that he simply pulled his gun and shot him. But here there was obviously a struggle. The watch was found 10 feet from the body. And it looked like it had been, as it says in many places, violently wrenched during an attack. A tough thing that happens here is we have missing timelines. We know she was at the library at some point around 6 o'clock, 6.30. And if the screams coming from the area are to be believed, then we know that there was at least an hour and a half from the time that the library closed until she was found. Well, until she was murdered. Screams. And we have no accounting for that time. Now, there are some who said that they saw her in the library. We can't verify that. So you have a huge chunk of time. What's interesting is that that watch that was found kept working, kept going. And the idea could be that she screamed while she was being murdered. She fought back. And when he was convinced she was dead, he noticed that his watch had broken. It was dark and he went to look for it. If you look at the photos, there's no lighting there. So he looks for the watch for a couple minutes, realizes he doesn't have a chance of finding it and walks away, starts his car and leaves. There's another idea that I actually do kind of like if the watch isn't at all related, which is possible, that he spent the time cleaning up. There have been other people around when he was smoking, so that maybe he just got a, the major amount of blood off of him and walked off. I want to talk about the coverage a little bit because this is what I dislike more than anything. Because this did receive national coverage. The Chicago Tribune, co-ed slain on California campus road. Cheerleader murdered. Cheerleader found slain on campus. Again, we're true crime fans. We boil things down to what is simple, what is understandable. Journalists more so. Was this a Zodiac crime? That's what we're going to examine in our third episode of three. The next one, we're going to talk about the letters, the poem, and the connections between the letters that we got from Zodiac. The third one is going to be a more speculative episode than I've ever done before. And I'm exceptionally worried about it. So I hope you'll stay tuned. I'm Chris Garcia, and this is Zodiac Speaking, a Klaus at Gunpoint family podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.